everybody. This is Writing Shotgun with Dirt Row Books. I am Joe Bell here today with Michelle Teichman. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Joe. How are you? I, I'm good. Um, 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 today, what are, what are we talking about today? Uh, points of view and narrative. And, oh. if, yeah, and if you're a writer, when to use them. If you're a reader, kind of what you're reading, how to recognize them, and just the difference in what they are and when they should be used. That's exciting. You know, dear listener, Michelle and I tried to record this one before, like another time, but <laughs> I'm just going to own this. I went off into the weeds far too many times. <laughs> so now Michelle has promised to wrangle the conversation the way it needs to go. So let's see how it goes, folks. Go. Say things. Okay. So we're going to talk about the different points of view, um, which basically are going to be, to keep it simple, first person, second person, third person, and omniscient. Um, so let's start with first person. First person. And, pardon? First person. I was agreeing. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with first person. So do you want to describe what the first person point of view is? And well, let's start with that. Yeah. First person is just literally when you tell it from the narrator's point of view is me. So if I'm telling a story, I say, I did this, I did that. I, I went to the store, I saw these things, whatever. So it's, it's very, very close, very tight association with the narrator. Um, it's used a lot in um, YA, young adult. Right. So it's used a lot in young adult fiction. And it's also when it's used, it often tends to, so in young adult fiction, it's usually in present tense. Yes, um, yes it Whereas is. when it's not young adult fish, fiction, when it's written more like a memoir, not an actual memoir, but sometimes books are written in that way. Yeah, um, that kind of voice. It's, it's, yeah, and it's past tense. So like example would be Great Expectations or David Copperfield um, by Charles Dickens. So do you want to talk a little bit about why YA uses the first person? Um, yeah, well, you know, the, the, the YA using first person adds like this level of intimacy, this level of, of urgency almost. And with YA, you feel everything. Um, it's, it's targeting an audience that is still defining their emotions and their emotional place in the world, right? Everything's very loud emotionally. And so it helps you to add that, that depth and that, 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 you know, gravity to the character. Uh, and the, the present tense thing, I don't know why YA has adopted that, but it has. And so it's most YA now is written first person present tense. It's odd, but yeah. But yeah, so it creates immediacy, right? And yes. I think it's also, I think it creates a bit, you know, when you're young, you don't know what to expect and everything's a surprise because really for a lot of it, everything's happening for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of self-discovery in YA and a lot of just world discovery. Um, so I think that's why it's used as well. It, it adds that suspense element of the kid. you don't know that the narrator's already okay because they're experiencing it at the same time you are. Yeah. I I think it's a great it's a great way to tell stories for a YA audience personally. I think that. Okay, and then another thing with YA is that sorry, another thing with first person is this is the point of view where you will rarely follow more than one character. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. Well, there's one example that I know that you want to talk about. So I'm just going to wait and let you talk about it where it's oh, more than okay. one person and it's done really well. Yeah, so it is rare that that happens, uh, but a good modern example, and I say modern because the book was written recently, 
um, but it is a historical novel uh, or a historical kind of romance or Bildungsroman, however you want to put it, is Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. They, yes. uh, she did an amazing job. And wait, so we did this last time before we re-recorded. Um, we're, we are going to talk about Fingersmith uh, maybe a bit in this podcast. So if you haven't read it, this is spoiler alert, you may want to stop listening. Mm-hmm. Because we are going to talk about it because it's amazing. Are we going to talk about it now? Yeah. So do you want to talk a bit about why it works in that, in that yes. book? Yes. Yes. Okay. So before we before I go there, I'm going to tell people why they can't do it even though they want to. So Fingersmith does it and it does it really, really well. There are other books that I've read where they do it. And if it's, you know, a well-known popular author they can get away with it. Their editor will let them get away with it, but it's kind of lazy and sloppy if you ask me. And um, here's the thing, just because, you know, somebody who's really popular can get away with writing a book like that, doesn't mean I can, doesn't mean that that, that other people should try. Um, so that's me, me cautioning people, just because we're telling you that it's been done, does not mean that we're advocating in favor of you doing it. We are saying, no, don't do it. But, uh, the reason it worked for Fingersmith specifically is that the whole book was a uh, was a bait and switch. It was a it was a heist. It was a it was a you know a a con job. The whole book was about you know mistaken identity and you know stolen identities. And so when you have two people, both of them saying I I I, it's because they literally have the same identity, or they think they do, or they don't, but they do. Yeah, so it works. <laughs> Something Fingersmith does as, um, as well that you don't see often and that, again, you know, maybe someone publishing their first book would be told you can't do this, um, is it does, not only does it do, uh, follow two people from the first person, but it does half a book and then half a book. So you have to read through the whole first book, right? You, you see the story and then the second half is the second narrator in first person now taking you back through everything that's already happened. And it takes a really strong writer like Sarah Waters mm -hmm. to do something like that. Yeah, she's fucking brilliant. And that book is a is testimony to that because the book, you're hooked by the, and it's confusing as hell when you get to that point where the narrator switches to the, the other person. It's confusing. It's absolutely confusing and it's intended to be, but well, it's captivating enough for you to stay with it. Well, and that's, that's the thing. She does such a good job. And then you are seriously so tricked mm -hmm. that that's why you're really, you're willing to read through it the second time. Cause mm -hmm. you're like, wait a second. And the thing she does as well by taking you through the story again is showing you the clues were here all along. Mm -hmm. You didn't pick up on them because I'm that good of a writer. And now I'm showing you every single point where I was letting you know what was really happening. So you never say, you know, after reading that book, like, oh, that didn't happen. She pulled the wool over. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. no, she clearly like left breadcrumbs. You were just too excited by the book, too into the story, too into the romance to notice them. Yeah. Um, so that's another reason why it works because you actually you enjoy being taken through it again from the other point of view, which I think is really hard to make someone read the same book twice and find it just as fascinating the second time. Yeah, I've seen other people try and do that as well. Yeah, that's another one of those tricks that 
the average person can't pull off. <laughs> right. And what would normally happen here is if you wanted to do a story like this where you wanted to show two people's perspectives, you would be using third person and you would go from point of view to point of view, not mm -hmm. head hopping, which means you'd have sustained consciousness for a scene and then you go into another character's head, but you're not constantly redoing the scene. You can have the character think back or, you know, consider what happened in that scene or take over partway through when you switch the point of view to finish the scene with the other character's point of view. But you're not, it's back and forth, chapter, chapter, scene, scene. So to do half a book and then half a book takes an exceptional talent. And it is an, it is an incredible book. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, it should be on your, on your to be read list if you haven't already. Oh yeah, like top of your must read. Mm -hmm. It's it's worth reading more than once, frankly. Okay, mm -hmm. so okay, that's so first person. Next, yeah, that's first person. Okay, so that you commonly see again in YA um, and in a lot of older books. A lot of books written in the nineteenth century will have that kind of narrative, especially if they're supposed to be set up like a memoir. Um, like I said, like David Copperfield or um, something like that. Okay, so the next is rarely used. Uh, mostly used in poetry and short fiction, I think would be near impossible, if not completely impossible, to sustain for an entire novel. And that's a second person point of view. So why don't you tell us what that is? Yeah, well, yeah. So second person is when you're telling it from, you know, your point of view, like you did this, you went there, you went, and it's very, it's difficult to, to describe, it's difficult to write, and it's difficult to read. So it's like, it's the trifecta of don'ts. And not to say that you can't, I've written a, sh a short story that's in second person. And for me, that story had to be in second, but it was also during a phase when I was experimenting. If it had been. And you know what, that's something that writers do with short stories. Like I, I've done the same thing when I wrote Pick Your Poison, I was experiencing with trying to use the senses more in my writing. And that's why there's a, a big chunk of that book takes place in the spice shop. Because I was mm -hmm. playing with how to write sense and smell and things like that. Um, so do you want to, can you actually grab that story and tell us what it is and read us maybe the first couple of lines? I can. Um, it's called The Gallows, and it's in a. It's included in an anthology called Skulls and Crossbones, edited by Andy Marquette and R.G. Emanuel. It's tales of women pirates. So the gallows. Oh, who just happened to be writers and editors for Duro Books? Yeah, but this is from a long. This is long time ago. When was this yeah. published? This was published in 2007. So and it was. Oh no! Wait, 2010 from Bedazzled Inc. So this has been a. It's been a minute. Anyway, okay, so first um, first couple of sentences, okay. Gallows swing, you realize, in the moment before the hangman drops the trapdoor beneath your feet. No matter if you are a spectator or an unfortunate participant, they swing. That's it. That's two sentences. Okay, so you'll notice, listener, the usage of you there. Not I notice, not he notices, she notices. It's you, you, you focus. And that second person. Um, and I think that's really all we're going to say about it because it's not commonly used. And if you're an aspiring writer, unless you're a poet, you will probably never use it. Yeah, I think that um, the, uh, the this style of narrative is very, it's distancing. I mean, and it's set up to be distancing because it's, I'm telling a story about you and maybe I have some insight but not all the insight that you would have otherwise, if that makes sense. It's perplexing. 
It's perplexing. Yeah, there's actually like um, so I don't know if anybody if anybody ever had the original Evanescence album um, that had you know that song I forget the name of the album but it had Bring Me to Life. It had yeah yeah. Which okay. So when that CD released, there was a secret song at the end, and I can't remember her name, but no the lead idea. singer of Evanescence did not agree to have that song added. And once it was, she got very upset and you, can, you can't find it anywhere. You can't buy it anywhere unless you have that CD or you can YouTube it. So the secret song is called You by Evanescence and you can still get it on YouTube. And really, if you've listened to her music, you'll notice it's really poetry to words, which a lot of music is, but yeah. I find less and less these days. But that really, she really writes poetry and adds m- music, sorry. Um, so if you look at the song You... Um, it is written in second person and it is such a beautiful song and you can see how it's sustainable in in a poem or a song but how it really isn't um, for a full length novel or something like that it's you know it's I can't imagine how difficult it would be to read something that you know goes on for 80,000 words that's in second person it let alone write it and yeah, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to read. It's difficult to to write. It's just it's difficult. It's a difficult point of view. So, okay, yeah. which leads us to third person, which is probably the most common. Yes, yes. So third person is you already described it a little bit. It's just literally, you know, from uh, she went to the store. She did this. She did that. You know, it's it's a it's from a third person point of view. You can do. Most commonly used now, most commonly used and abused is third person um, limited, which is, you know, the scene that you're in should only hold one character's point of view. And you can go, you can feature more than one character, but you have to have strong adherence to the point of view in the specific scene. So you can't bounce back and forth between characters in a scene. Um, Because with third person limited, you are giving more depth to that character's insight you you see more of what that character sees versus third person omniscient which we'll talk about in a minute but um third person limited uh i've written a book that includes only one character's point of view from third person limited it's very very difficult the 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 benefit of writing uh third person is that you get to feature multiple points of view and you get to explore multiple characters and how they're, you know, existing and feeling and living in their moment. Right. And so, uh, so common, when you're writing third person, you'd refer to your main character, even though that she's kind of telling the story as she or the person's name. Um, So, you know, for example, my book, The Space Between uh, Harper, the book opens with Harper and I say, you know, like Harper ran down the stairs, she was late, this and that, but that's still third person because everything that we see is going to be told from Harper's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and the importance in that is understanding that the narrative can't include anything that the character that you are following does not know. So yeah. for example, if somebody says something you can't say, you know, if Harper said, I don't want to go, she couldn't then say, Sarah looked at me, she was angry because she doesn't know that she's angry. So she'd have to describe how the person 
appears angry? Did she furrow her brow? Why did she have that impression? Mm-hmm. Um, and another important thing is to try to get into the character's senses. Um, so let's say that there was burning toast in the house. You try not to say Harper smelled burnt toast. You try to say it from Harper's perspective of toast was burning, you know, mom must have left the kitchen again. Right. So just kind of trying to really get inside that character's head. And what I was taught is um, that's third person sustained consciousness, which is another way to say the third person limited. And just think of it that way. You are staying in one person's consciousness. So what are they seeing? What are they smelling? What are they tasting? What are they touching? And what are they feeling? And how can you get that across without saying he, uh, you know, she felt, she saw, she thinks. So you're staying inside that person's head, but again, you are still using she. So it can take, a. it is the most common, um, but it can take a while to kind of master. And I, th- and I use, I'm using air quotes here because even, you know, if you've written 10 books, you can still slip out of that sometimes, especially in first drafts. And that's okay. It's just when the book gets polished up, um, you should really feel that you're sustained, that there's that sustained consciousness inside that person's mind. And it's the limited point of view of the person telling the story. Yeah, you, uh, you mentioned something really important in that the whole idea that you shouldn't be saying she saw she felt she did or she heard or she smelled or whatever. Those are called filter phrases. Um, Basically, they're a, a hallmark of a uh, either a lazy writer or a timid writer because you don't trust the character enough to just let her experience it, if that makes sense. Uh, so when you use those, it's you're distancing the reader from the experience. So yeah, instead of saying, you know, she smelled it, you know, just, you know, this, you could say the smell of burning toast was in the air, filled, you know, filled the air, whatever. It's because it's something that the character obviously knows and you obvious you've already told us since it's from that character's point of view that she's the one that smells it so saying it again is just redundant it also brings the reader out of the moment right whereas Mm. and here's the thing it's it's also just um a sign of honestly someone who hasn't been taught that yet Mm -hmm. so and and that's okay you know what I mean like we all learn what's the um I don't know if you know off the top of your head um Jay's website that has all these blog posts on this kind of stuff yeah hold on I'm gonna look it up you keep talking so Jay is a a prolific author you probably if you're listening to this podcast you probably read some of her stories most of them are romances she's multi-award winning um, a couple that come to mind are like Backwards to Oregon. Um, that was a huge award winner. She has a lot of audiobooks out too. If you like to, you know, listen to podcasts and listen to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's just written so many books. And beyond that, she is an amazingly uh, kind, nice, generous, sweet person, fun to be around, um, very humble, and very, very intelligent. And she posts. I think it's her blog, but it could be her website, all these tips for writers on um, just all these common mistakes that, and again, if you're making them, that's okay, especially if you don't know, but these kinds of posts can help you learn how to um, fix those, which they did for me, so. Yeah, so she actually has two websites and two blogs. The the one for her writer persona is is just Jay. 
fiction.com and her blog on there she's got some stuff if you go back but she doesn't focus on you know writing tips on her personal blog anymore now it's over at her like editor site which is under sandra girth which is s-a-n-d-r-a girth g-e-r-t-h.com and that's where all like the writer tips is and fucking a that woman is smart yeah, if you are a writer at any level, I recommend going to that website. There's mm-hmm. so many. Th- and the thing, too, is some of it she tries to make kind of funny. You know, when she talks about, like, one, a really common error is when people talk about eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, like, her eyes followed him across the room. And then it's like, okay, picture that visual. It, and Yeah, your eyes hop out of your head parts. and go, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a pet peeve of mine, too. Eyes can't do that. They can, they can, your gaze can, your eyes yeah. can't. Or your eyes can't. So just little tips like that. Um, okay, so that's third person. It's the most common, especially the most common um, in non-YA lesbic would be first person, uh, sorry, third person point of view, and then usually from two characters, right? Your two main love interests in, uh, in a romance. Yes. Um, okay, and then so the fourth one that we're going to talk about today is the omniscient narrator, or like Jove said, third person omniscient. So, um, just for anyone that doesn't know, omniscient means all knowing. Um, mm-hmm. So, that should give you a kind of idea of how it's going to be different than third person sustained. Um, so, uh, Jove, do you want to explain that one to us? Yeah, so this is something that you don't see very much in modern fiction at all. I can think of one example. I know you have one example, but basically it's like the classic narrator of a story, somebody who's standing up and telling the story about the neighborhood. Like, you know, it's so it it tells the things that are happening to lots of people. Like you can see things that are happening from, you know, it's happening to Barb at her house and then to Robin at her house. And, you know, so you get all these little scenes from all the different places, but you have more distance from the character. You don't get as deep into what the character's thinking and feeling. Um, Yeah. Right. Okay. So a couple of examples of where you will see this. Um, One is mystery especially if the writer wants you to follow a couple of different characters. Um, It could be suspects. It could be different people solving the crime. It could be the sleuth and his partner or her partner. Um, So that's one place that you'll commonly see it. Another place is in writing horror. So a lot of Stephen King's books are written this way just Mm -hmm. because you have to follow so many things. And generally the main character doesn't know what's going on and there needs to be stuff outside of their perspective um, that the reader sees. And then contemporary fiction, uh, non-romance does this as well. So uh, an example that I like to use is like one of the best ones I've ever written this, uh, read, (laughs) I wish I'd written it. One of the best ones I've ever read this way was The Book Thief, um, which is told from the point of view of death. And death is the omniscient narrator that takes you through a pedestal narrative um, of this little girl who is the book thief and follows her through uh, World War II Nazi Germany from the point of view of a German citizen. And it's, it's just such a fascinating, amazing book for so many reasons. Um, but the point of view, making it from death and following is just a really, really amazing, interesting choice. And it's just written so beautifully. It's an amazing read. I have never read it, but I feel like I need to. You because, really should. Because you are constantly telling me how amazing it is. Um, my example 
because I do have one. I'm actually reading this series now, but Mortal Engines. Do you, have you heard okay. of this? It's by no. uh, Philip Reeve, and it's uh, a futuristic, um, uh, dystopian whatever. So it, it's it's <laughs> dystopian whatever. It's about you know life in actually it's it's set mostly in um, the European continent in Asia, but it's about like what happens after the nuclear war and they call it the 60 minute war right okay so, so it's a dystopian post-apocalyptic yeah right? and the okay. um the the cities are on wheels they're traction cities and so london is this big lumbering beast of a of a of a city that goes around and eats other cities right and it's called mun <laughs> municipal darwinism it it's <laughs> absolutely so well written and so much fun to read and um but it's definitely a third person omniscient because you get a lot of surface level stuff and it's really well written it's beautiful it's fun to read but the true depth of the characters never ever comes through because it's not that kind of story it's it works really really well i don't think i could pull it off frankly but yeah it works for this guy Mortal yeah, I mean, I think it depends what you're trying to write, right? Like, mm -hmm. so if you are writing something like a horror or something like a mystery, it, at that point, it's not pulling it off. It's really probably the best narrative for the story. But so if you're if you're a writer and you've written a couple of books or you haven't written any, point of view really is important. And actually, so when I started writing The Space Between, um, I had actually written it from first person and I wrote the first three chapters from Harper's point of view. And then I said to myself, this isn't working. And I, I went through it all and I, I changed it to third person and I wrote the rest of the book in third person. So if you're not sure, I recommend starting. Um, don't let it paralyze you that you don't know which point of view to use. Start writing and see if it's working, see if it's comfortable, see how you're progressing, and you can always go back and change it. Honestly, it's not that big of a fix. It didn't take me nearly as long as I thought it would. Yeah, um, it's it's not hard. Like my, my book that I'm working on now, The Rise and Shine, I started it in first person, switched it to third person because I decided I didn't like first person, wrote for a while in third person, and then decided, nope, mm -mm, I needed this to be in first person after all, and went back. So it happens. Is that, now, is that an N-A? Uh, no, that one's definitely YA, but I mean- It's YA. Yeah, but the, the characters are, are in high school, like 15, 16 years old. So okay. Definite YA. I know I say this every time we talk about this on and off air here, but I really want to read that book. I really want to let you. So <laughs> we are we are of like mind with that. So excellent. Um, okay, so that's really what we wanted to talk about today was just sort of dissecting the points of view. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any last notes no, on that? No, just understand what it is that you're trying to write. Understand how to maintain it because you know if you're trying to write third person omniscient you need to know what it is that you're writing and not write not actually be writing it as third person limited and just being hopping all over the place from different characters you know points of oh view. yeah you know what work. maybe you should explain head hopping i know we've talked about it before yeah. but just quickly so head hopping is when you're you're writing third person limited right so sustained consciousness as michelle says uh, where you're really into that one character's point of view for that scene 
and so you've got a, a lot of depth and a lot of insight into that character and their emotional state and all of those things. But you really want to add that for the other character too. So you hop back and forth and you try to try to make it as as deep as possible for both of them. Mostly that's just confusing for the reader um, because... Yeah, and the intention really, and it, it's a noble intention. The author is trying to or attempting to let you know what both characters are thinking and feeling in the same important moment. Mm -hmm. But it's just confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. It, It's... I, and I'm not going to say that there you're not going to find it out there in published work because you are. You absolutely are. Uh but usually it's the sign of a new author. So. A new author or really an, an editor or publisher that doesn't care right. about that kind of stuff, which is not a good thing. Um, like, and not, but not to put down anyone's books or anything. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that, but I just want to say, of course you'll find it out there the same way that you'll find a really shitty burger. You'll never buy again at some <laughs> cheap restaurant. That's going to go out of business. Right. So, oh my God, that's a great analogy. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you think about it when you're, when you're a writer, what do you want to be? Do you want to be offering yeah. the amazing steak people are going to tell their friends about, or do you want to be the restaurant that goes out of business in six months? Yeah. Well, and you know, there's, there's some stuff out there that is, that is written with head hopping that I absolutely loved reading and will likely read again, but I know what I'm, I know what I'm getting and I know what's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just, and I, I don't want, I don't want other people to read my, my stuff and think that I don't know the difference because I do, you know. And honestly, once you stop the head hopping, because I'm pretty sure I had it. I, I did. You did. Oh, you, you, like, you did. You, yeah. And you were like, you're head hopping. And you know where I got that from? Reading other books that had it, right? So yeah. they are definitely out there. But I will say once I learned, because I didn't even know, I didn't even realize. Um, once I learned how to do it differently, I really enjoy it more now mm -hmm. not head hopping yeah it's, and it's a lot know. easier to know your character if you understand the the links that you have to go to in order to maintain the right point of view it's a lot you get to know your character a lot better yeah i think you do i think that that's true so um i would say to people that if you're not sure how to write a book like i said before try it different ways but the other thing is read other books that are written in a certain way. So if you're thinking of writing a third person, um, sustained consciousness, and you're not sure how that's going to play out, read a couple of books that are written that way and see if you like it. Read a couple of first person and see if you like that better for your story because mm -hmm. it's all about your story. Like no one writer is a third person point of view writer. I mean, you can be because you can be great at it, but that doesn't mean that that's all you can write. You can write anything you want, but just make sure you kind of educate yourself so that your craft is as good as it can be when mm -hmm. you try something different. Yeah. And don't, don't think that just because some super mega amazing author can do something that, you know, it's something that anybody can do. Jody Picoult can do things that I can't do. It's just the way it is. Um, you know, what you said, Stephen King, another good example. Uh, Anne Rice refuses or went through a period where she refused to be edited because she didn't want anybody <laughs> else polluting her story. That was not a good choice for her. But Anne Rice <laughs> could do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. As an, as an, You're not Anne Rice. Don't try and pretend you are. Don't try and convince other people that you are. You're not. Right. So it's the same, whatever, just because other people can do it doesn't mean they should. And it doesn't mean that you have a, an open invitation to do it too. 
Yeah. I will also say after you say that, I don't want anybody to think that we're discouraging them from doing things. So talk to your editor. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have an editor, play on the safe side. Do you know what 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 Joe Bell is recommending here? Don't try to do things that you've seen other people, like great prolific writers, um, get away with. Start out, build your career, and then when you have the reputation, then maybe start playing around. But when in doubt, ask your editor, talk yeah. to them, see what they think works, and they'll know. They 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 have the experience. There's a reason why they're getting paid for it. So it's you true. know, I'm writing is inspiration. Right, editing is really getting down to the nitty gritty of the craft and what you can and can and should and shouldn't do. So yeah. talk to your editor and trust your editor. And something we've talked about. In previous podcasts about you know what what do editors expect when I was asking you all those questions um, something to consider is your editor may tell you no but your editor is your friend your editor mm-hmm. is not telling you no because they won't hurt your feelings um, so really talk to them they're a great resource um, if you have one and if you don't and you're hiring an outside editor just make sure that you kind of get some information on them first know who they've edited before that's a great thing to ask other books you can read that they've edited um, because, you know, if you ask your friends, your friends are probably going to tell you it's great. No matter what you give them, they're going to mm-hmm. tell you it's great. So it's good to get some advice from a professional. Yeah. Get an editor. If an editor isn't willing to tell you no, it's not the right editor. <laughs> get a different editor. Get somebody who's, who's willing to tell you when things don't work. Um, well, I mean, it depends what your goals are, right? But if you mm-hmm. want to write great books get an editor who you can trust to tell yeah. you the truth. Yeah. You know, and the thing that, that I think is just like this really awesome point because, you know, if anybody, any author pitched to me that they wanted to write a book with two different points of view with from first, per- both characters from first person, I would tell them no, because they wouldn't have any way to differentiate the characters other than labeling them at the top of the, of the scene. And that's just, you know what? I shouldn't ha- need that label. But if I had gotten, you know, that manuscript from Sarah Waters, I would have absolutely let her go forward with that project because... Keeping in mind, it's a half-half split, right? So so that one's a little different in that you know right away because the first half starts off, I'm Sue Trinder, and the second half probably starts off, I'm whatever her name was, like Maud something, right? Yeah, yeah. but, but yeah. at that point you'd been in- introduced to both characters and whatever. I just, yeah, I would have taken it from from her because she did it right. Well, let's so, hope Sarah Waters sends you a manuscript. She's not going to. I'm just, that's my <laughs> example. Like, just because I'm saying don't ever do it doesn't mean that it can't be done right. It's just that it's really fucking hard. So don't be surprised when your editor says no. Because yeah. if, it, if it is written the right way, even though it's unusual and complex and difficult, your editor will know that and they'll, they'll say, yes, this isn't right, but it's totally right. Good job. Yeah, it's okay to break the mold, but don't think you can do that on every book. Because it won't work on every book. So there. Anyway, uh, we're done. You want to close this out? I like Let's, it. When, I like it. I when don't you know how to do close it. it, but I'm going to try here. So guys, I love it when you, you do it. Thank you for listening to us. This was writing uh, shotgun with their row books. That was our host uh, Joe Bell, and I was your guest today, Michelle Teichman, and we hope to catch you again soon. Thanks for listening.